everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Son of Neptune. I forgot what it was called for a second. It's been a while. <laughs> How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, it has been a while, hasn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know. Uh, I feel refreshed. I had a relaxing week off. You know, wasn't wasn't really doing anything the week that we were supposed to record. I'm sure you weren't either. So no. uh, we both just had a nice relaxing break. Yeah. Uh, no, the the last week I've basically been doing nothing. I mean, <laughs> I I moved uh, everything in our house to another house, and I'm now living in that place instead. Uh, and I had a birthday, but you know, otherwise not too busy. Happy birthday, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Oh, God. I'm so tired, but I'm so glad to be back here. <laughs> I I also want to apologize up front of my audio. Just for the, we're, I'm still getting audio stuff figured out. So if it's if it's bad, I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm sure the listeners will forgive you after your, uh, like, 99 public mea culpas. I, I would post 99 public mea culpas, but I worry that, like... Do you ever hear about that and worry, like, I'll run out? Like, I only have so many mea culpas in me. Like, if I... I don't know, like... I I went to a Church of England school, so uh, not particularly. No, I, I, I don't know anything about Catholicism. <laughs> and from what I understand, we're better off that way. Yeah, I think so. Besides, we can, we can talk about uh, the other dominant form of religion, of uh, Christianity, uh, during this reading. I suspect we will have a lot to say about Eastern Orthodoxy. Will we? Oh, wait, I guess we will, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> it took me a second to think about it, but yeah, I suppose so. Jane, I believe Hello. before the show, you told me that there was some there, there's some news this week. There is, there is actually news, because we took two weeks off, and that's when everything... Well, we took a week off, and that was when everything decided to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, first thing... Uh, the Empire State Building keeps posting these like really annoying memes that are like, I wonder if Percy Jackson fans can figure out what my big secret is. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so they're probably filming something in the Empire State Building. It, it really feels like it. It feels pretty obvious. Like it's it's New York. You can film there. Yeah, I. I don't know. I I mostly just wanted to mention this because I scrolled through like a week of bullshit wacky brand Twitter stuff to get to it. Yeah. And I wanted to justify the wasted time. I think that's fair. Yeah, were, were Empire State Building confirmed? Probably. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Logan Lerman has said that he's not actually going to be in the show. That he doesn't have like a cameo role or anything. Well, that's sad. I guess that makes a lot of sense to me, though. I feel like Rick Riordan probably has that resentment in him. <laughs> you think he hates Logan Lerman specifically? I think he hates Logan Lerman. I, I I think he would never say it, but I think Rick Riordan, if given the chance, would just like completely erase Logan Lerman from all public relevance. <laughs> I mean, the movie's already kind of did that, so he's got his wish. He's still in the pop culture. There's, I was just watching the... Riverdale, and there was a character named Lerman Logan. We've talked about this. What the fuck? Oh, God, yeah, we have. Yeah, he came up again. Uh, anyway, this means nothing, because actors lie about being in stuff all the time. That's true, actually, yeah. <laughs> I, it'd be so funny if he was just Poseidon. <laughs> just got a shitty fake beard on. <laughs> Maybe he grows a really good beard, I don't know. 
I, he he has he has the baby face. I think it would look weird. Probably. Uh, shoutouts to Yumin in the Unwise Girls Discord server uh, for posting a bunch of like set photos of like actors in costumes and stuff. Yes, yes, we're getting some. We're getting our first glimpses of the kids in their like Camp Half Blood outfits. It's... They're wearing like orange Camp Half Blood T-shirts instead of like shitty fake leather armor over normal T-shirts and jeans. Yeah. So that's an improvement. <laughs> That's another thing is that like that's like not not to, that's like the Camp Jupiter aesthetic. Oh, like, you're right. Like I don't it's it's interesting to me. I I I'm constantly thinking about the parallels between movie Camp Half-Blood and Camp Jupiter. <laughs> Look, again, I I feel like Heroes of Olympus must have played some role in killing the movies. Not maybe like the major like thing, but it must have been in the mix. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a couple of other like little bits and bobs that aren't really that important. The big one is that uh, Rick Ryden has shifted his estimation for when it'll come out. Uh, he had originally said late 2023 and is now saying early 2024. Because now he knows how TV works. Uh-huh, you gotta learn. At least he's learning. Yeah. So, I mean, about that, that all that news basically sums up to, yep, show's chugging along. Yeah, I... I I want to talk about Rick Riordan's latest blog post actually because I guess this is the the, the podcast we are. Uh, it's called "Back on Set." Back on set with the Demigod Squad. Uh, he later clarifies the Demigod Squad refers to like the crew basically, uh-huh. uh, and uh, he just you know talks about normal stuff about filming and having chicken sandwiches and all that kind of thing. Uh, and he also confirms that they're like basically filmed up through Chapter Nine of The Lightning Thief. Oh yeah. Okay, we have we have two choices of conversation here. Okay, we could either talk about one the other movies that the main characters have been in lately, or two we could talk about Rick Riordan's free time watching. I I've not seen any of the other the movies that like the kids have been in. I know that um, Walker Scobell Percy, where he was in, I think he was in like a Netflix movie with Ryan Reynolds. There's like a, there's like, yes, but there's like a new like Owen Wilson superhero movie he's on as well. Oh, Christ. I, I don't know if I want to talk. Let's talk about Rick Riordan's passions. I, this is, this feels like it's going to be incredibly informative. Uh, okay. So in our quote free time, we've been watching, uh, in the first one listed, Strange New Worlds. Yeah, fair enough. Can't fault him on that. Strange New Worlds is all right. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, incredible show, we love it, classic Trek vibe, and I am totally here for Ansem Mounts to Captain Pike as Reasonable Space Dad, which is a link that leads to a, that leads to like an Irish Times article about the show. And I, uh, specifically calling him a Reasonable Space Dad, is this a citation? I, I think so. Uh, I, the thing is, I watched the first episode. Of, I, I don't think I told you this, but I watched the first episode of that show recently. Oh, neat. What do you think? Uh, I I thought it was pretty fun. I'm not like a big Star Trek person, but like I know mm-hmm. enough to be like, oh, shit. They're... And also I had a friend there who knows like everything about Star Trek. So he was able to point <laughs> out when there was like a, oh, that's a reference you should be understanding. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, but like I it was cute. Um. I think the idea of Rick Riordan being like, wow, Captain Pike, he's so reasonable, is so funny, um, considering the end of episode one where Captain Pike is like, goes like ultimate centrist mode. 
Captain Pike goes ultimate centrist mode and also spends the whole episode breaking the Prime Directive. That's true. He breaks it so hard that that's how it got its name. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think he's reasonable in any way, shape, or form. Oh, oh, it's pretty funny. Um, the other, it's it's normal stuff listed. Otherwise, there's Stranger Things. Gross. He complains about being spoiled. That he, he kind of pokes fun at the fans, being like, "Don't you hate it when creators kill off great characters for?" And then this next part is in like alternating caps. Uh, no reason. OMG, it's so unfair. They didn't deserve that. Am I right? <laughs> who does that? I um, wonder if he's been getting some flack for like killing Silene Beauregard or something. I I thought would make sense. Uh, Grace and Frankie, Blackbird. I thought he was about to say blacks. You were about to say black sales. And you were going to be so excited. He does mention uh, The Old Man, which is John Steinberg's new show, uh, who also was, you know, a Black Sails person. Ah. Uh, who was also working on Percy Jackson, which was constantly setting my mind on fire. I, uh, I recently heard someone describe Black Sails as uh, the pirate Game of Thrones. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you've like talked to me about it positively before, because otherwise that would have made me put it straight on the never watch list. Yeah, I mean, season one is absolutely, like, part of it is trying to appeal to that. Um, mm-hmm. But also they know their deal from the first season and they're still going in on it. Uh, okay. But they just have to, like, the first season is like, well, we're a Stars original. We have to be a Stars original, you know? <laughs> uh, he gives a big thumbs up to Miss Marvel. And then he talks about uh, how he's reading Umberto Eco. This feels like one of those things where I'll be called uncultured for being unfamiliar with it. Uh, Umberto Eco is a uh, is like a very famous like he was an Italian writer and professor. Uh, he was incredibly well known for his uh, essay "Ur Fascism." Oh, oh yeah, this guy. Yeah, you've probably heard of it. It's like the fort. He's like lists the like properties of what makes fascism fascism. And I don't know. There's something interesting to me about Rick Riordan reading Umberto Eco. Like, is he gonna? Has he read "Ur Fascism"? Will he? What will that do to the series, if anything? That actually, hmm. That does that actually like makes me think again about one of the other things that I saw from his blog. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It, it kind of makes me recontextualize it. Where he uh, he was talking about the new adaptation, and he said, "The neat thing about revisiting this tale almost twenty years after I first wrote it is I get to address some of the questions that fans have asked me over the years. What does this mean? Why does this happen the way it does? What would happen if blank? It's been really satisfying and fun." I wonder if he is maybe gonna like, because we're not—we're obviously not the first people to point out that the heart of the West is a concept that's kind of fashy. Yes. So I wonder if maybe he is gonna try and do some cleanup on that, and maybe that's why he's been dipping it into his Umberto Echo. I I hope love that's that. the case. Yeah, I would love that. I know that he's also just like Rick Riordan from reading his blog is on like a learning Italian kick. Um, that might also be it. Uh, so <laughs> there's also the, but I, I would hope the two would coincide because yeah, it, it's, it's the, like literally the root of almost every single problem in the series. I also, I find it funny that one of the things he puts in here is like, why does this happen the way it does? And I feel like we often ask that, but in a different tone of voice. Uh huh. Why does this happen the way it does? You were constantly reciting this. He also <laughs> mentions like being able to add like character backstory earlier i it that i don't know i think that's good that's good that, that puts me in mind of like um uh bianca d'angelo popping up in the lightning thief musical yeah you know, that's kind of that kind of stuff is fun 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just, that's just like a good change to make. Like the, the D'Angelo should at least be seen in the casino. Yeah. Uh, and then he mentions that he's been listening to a lot of Harry Styles. I think that's enough for, uh, for <laughs> Rick Ryden's blog. I think so. Should we uh, get straight into the summaries? Straight into is a strong word. Should we get gay into the summaries? <laughs> you got me good on that one. Uh, sure. All right. Chapter 9, Frank. Chapter 9 is partly a retelling of the events of the day from Frank's perspective. We catch a little of his guard duty with Hazel, pre-Percy falling out of the sky, and learn that Frank has a piece of magic wood which he can set fire to at will. However, when the wood burns out completely, Frank will die. We see what he was doing in the armory while Hazel was showing Percy around, which is wishing Apollo would claim him, and examining the gorgon blood that he lifted from the aftermath of the battle. He has two vials of it, one from each side of a gorgon's body. Blood from their right side cures all diseases, left means instant death. Frank wonders if taking the curative vial could remove his weird stick curse. And the problem is that the vials are unlabeled and Frank has no idea which is which. Vitellius the comedy ghost comes along and says some stuff, including that Frank carries the curse of an quote-unquote Argonaut and has both Greek and Roman roots and then leaves. Uh, Frank meets up with Hazel and Percy and we hear a bit more of their conversation, including how Pluto became more of a god of wealth than death when he was Roman, and also some interesting tidbits about how the Eastern Roman slash Byzantine Empire was considered the Greek half of the empire, and it's a sore spot for Camp Jupiter that the Byzantines outlived the Western Empire by almost a millennium. This is why Camp Jupiter sets up in the west of any country they're in, and by implication why Camp Half-Blood is in the east. Percy also reveals that he knows Frank lifted the vials, but he figured he did it to cover Percy's ass, since rocking up in camp with a bunch of poison would have been a bad look. Percy and Frank open up to each other a little after Hazel heads off, with Percy revealing that he remembers a little about Annabeth, and Frank revealing that his mum died fighting in Afghanistan for the Canadian military. Chapter 10. Frank. It's flashback time again. Instead of mid-century New Orleans, we're in eight weeks ago Vancouver, with Frank destroying his grandmother's porcelain collection as he acts out ahead of his mother's funeral. His grandma drags him inside and gives him the talk. You're a Roman demigod, the Chinese side of your family are all descended from legendary warriors. If this piece of wood burns, you die. Juno set you on the path to restore our family honor by freeing Thanatos. That kind of talk. Frank will also apparently get cool powers from his mum's side at an undisclosed later date. Grandma Zhang puts Frank out on his ass with Lupa, and tells him that when he gets to Camp Jupiter, he needs to speak to the Praetor in private, and beg forgiveness for an ancestor of his, Len Shu. Who Len Shu was, or what he did, Frank has absolutely no idea. We leave the flashback zone to get back to the end of Chapter 8, where war games are starting. They're a bit more brutal than Capture the Flag at Camp Half-Blood. The first and second cohorts get a whole ass fort, and people can hit each other with real weapons, they just get helicopters out to get healed by eagles. The third, fourth, and fifth cohorts have to get into the fort and steal a standard. We also hear that whoever actually grabs it gets a special medal. The fifth cohort are sent in as shock troops, but Frank realizes that since the fort has water cannon up on the walls, if Hazel tunnels them close, Percy can just fucking detonate them. Chapter 11, Frank. The plan works and the cannons blowing up disorientates the defenders long enough for Frank to take the walls and lead the rest of the cohorts in a successful assault led by one of the fifth leaders, Gwen. Chapter 12. Frank. 
The gang takes the standard. The day is won. Hooray! Also, Gwen fucking died. Uh, Gwen gets killed, and the worst part is that it wasn't even during the fighting. A Pelum with a first cohort mark on it gets rammed through her back, so that means someone murked her as revenge after the battle was over. Frank notices that Octavian isn't carrying his Pelum and resolves to kick his teeth in, but before he can, Gwen wakes up. Excuse me. Turns out that the death situation is now so fucked that even some demigods won't die properly. At this point, the heavens open, and Mars rocks up with a message from Jupiter. Percy shit-talks him because he remembers that at the very least that he doesn't like this guy, although Mars doesn't seem to know him. He tells the demigods that they need to free Thanatos and restore death by going north to the land beyond the gods. Percy thinks this is weird because no dying would mean endless war and carnage, but Mars can't get hard unless his peril play involves a real risk, so he dishes out the shittiest written prophecy in history and tells him to get on with it. He then claims Frank as his son, declares him the leader of the quest, and pieces out. So, Jacqueline, what did you think of these chapters? Uh, these were the best chapters so far. Interesting. I don't know why. They were just like, they went down so fucking smooth. Even on a reread, I was like, wow, these are just like pretty good. Uh, I didn't have like, I I didn't, I mean, there were a couple, but I didn't have as many stumbling blocks as I did in the last few, even if some of those like fundamental fundamental ideas that we chafed against are still there. I maybe I just really like reading things from Frank's perspective. I don't know. That's I mean that that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, like the the unhinged shit is still here and it's still going on, but it's kind of it's less intense in these chapters at least, or we're just getting used to it. One of the two. Uh huh. <laughs> what did you think? I'm curious. I kind of found these chapters to be a bit of a drag, if I'm being honest. If it, it kind of feels like we spend a lot of time. Because we jump back to Frank's perspective before the start of chapter 8, it feels like the pace is really slowed as we kind of have to do a lot of work to get back up to where we were two chapters prior, if that makes sense. It feels like the the, the story doesn't have a lot of momentum in, in those parts. Yeah, I can understand that, though, I think. Like, it didn't bother me too much, but that's, I think, perfectly reasonable. How, where do we want to start with this? Because Frank is a character who I think we just, like, does not show who he is going to be on the surface immediately. Oh, definitely. We, we, we are seeing layers to Frank. Uh, the, the first layer that you see is, like, we've, we've called him the bumbling boy before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the this, sad little meow meow. Yes, exactly. And uh, the, the layer directly underneath that is, like, he's taken over like percy jackson levels of joking about dying uh to be there he's he's a level above that um is this just what rick ryden thinks children are like honestly teenagers i think that's fair you know what you may be right actually like he i don't know there i i was really worried about this at first because the first thing you hear in this is that like the very first thing you get is Frank being like, "Oh, I could, I could, I could set something on fire, and then everyone would, and everything would be bad, and I have a curse." And I was like, "Oh fuck, is this Leo again?" He is very Leo vibes. He's got the tragic dead mom and everything. He does, uh, but I think he he's well differentiated enough that those worries were basically assuaged for me. And he's he's an entirely different character, like personality wise. Yeah. I mean, I do. There is a little part of me that wonders if maybe like 
Son of Neptune and Lost Heroes started out as like the same book. Because mm. Hazel is also very Piperish. So I wonder if like Rick was kind of hemming and hawing about which way to go with like the broad premise. Uh, and then decided, wait, well, yeah, I can just get two books out of this. That's possible. I mean, it's always... Fair enough, if that's the case. Of, oh, for sure. Like, I even if that's the case, like, I think he's done a pretty good job of, like, they're not literally the exact same characters, so it's, it, yeah, it's the, working Yeah, the out. vibes are similar, but they're, they're different people. At, at best, they're, like, or at, at most, they're, like, they're pretty strong parallels, I guess is what I would yeah. say. And that's never, like, a bad thing. I mean, surely they'll meet up and that'll, like, mean something at some point. Yeah, definitely. I don't know, should we we talk about maybe, like, Frank's flashback since we're on this topic? Yeah, let's do that. Because Frank, uh... Uh... You okay? Yeah, I just started thinking about soldiers dying in Afghanistan. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no. I'm sorry. I, I, um... There, <laughs> there's dead veterans uh the victims of a corrupt system that turns them against their own interests etc etc um i just think there's something so funny about being in the canadian military of all things that is an extremely funny reason to die in afghanistan <laughs> and being like not even because you believe in some fake cause but because you are like, oh, I really want to fuck this guy again. I really want to find. I really want to find his dad. Uh, and I think, I think he he likes war. I should find him again. That's okay. There's a couple. There's a couple things to talk about with like so. Frank to because I didn't lay out properly in the summaries. Frank's mom uh, goes back to Afghanistan. Looking for Mars slash Ares to to fuck him again because you know Afghanistan is a war zone. I I originally thought that um, Frank's dad might be Poseidon. Really? And I thought that I thought that it was like the bleakest joke in the series that like for some reason she went look she got killed looking for Poseidon in a landlocked country. <laughs> no, I I don't know why this <laughs> and we didn't have the same train of thought. But for a second, I was like, "Oh wait, is Frank's dad like Neptune?" I had like I was convinced. I don't know why. Just like, and it- the reason. Sorry, go ahead. The reason I thought that was because um, uh, he has to apologize for the actions of Len Shu. Yes, yes, that was it. That was it. And like that seems to be the anonymous child of Neptune who caused that the the earthquake in 1906 or whatever would be my guess. So he might maybe he's related to both. Well, here's the thing. We we hear that Frank has like a variety of roots. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very possible. But also like it's it's mentioned as like San Francisco, right? Yeah. Wasn't there also like a famous San Francisco fire or something? Uh possibly. I'm going to I I'll google this very quickly. Well, there wasn't. Oh wait, yes there was. Uh <laughs> Um, this was the San Francisco fire of 1851, apparently. Yeah, it might have been something to do with that, then. It's possible. There's so many disasters happening there. <laughs> but, no, I... It's because of Camp Jupiter. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing, though. Like, hmm, I... Speaking of roots, for just the, the to tangent for just half a second, um, uh-huh. Frank says maybe the funniest thing in the world, 
Uh, it, oh. Not the funniest thing in the world, but it's like a certifiable silly moment uh, is that he says like years ago, his mother told him that their family name, Zhang, meant master of bows in Chinese. That must have been a hint about his dad. And like, <laughs> Frank, I have bad news about how surnames work. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's it's a case of like you know his his mother chose to tell him as a hint. Yeah, but I yeah I suppose so. <laughs> uh, I would also like to briefly tangent uh, and say, okay, right. This is you're gonna have to you're gonna have to follow me on this. Okay. So at the end of these chapters, Mars says that he is all about like righteous wars and crushing evil enemies and stuff. Uh huh. Now it follows that if um, if Frank's mom thought that he, he would be in Afghanistan, that means that he supports the war in Afghanistan. That that would mean that yes. Uh, that would also mean that Afghanistan was a proxy war between the Olympians and Hades. Oh my fuck! Because if you think back to Lightning Thief, Hades is Bin Laden's dad. <laughs> I okay. <laughs> Here's the thing: Mars is full of shit because. Obviously, because <laughs> th- that would also imply that, like, the Roman Empire doing all the shit it did was righteous and justified. I don't know if we're past the point where Rick Riordan thinks that. I don't think Rick Riordan thinks that. I-, I think we can, I I think we can probably say that nobody alive think that's not true. Uh, that, <laughs> that Rick Riordan is probably not the type of person who thinks that because that's a very specific type of person. You're right, that is a, okay, yeah, that might be a little unfair of me. But like um yeah, I I don't I just I just love the absolutely whack bullshit that I'm able to say because Rick just won't keep his dick out of history. Yeah. It's really I mean there's more of that. Should we just talk about like I I I mean we're let's let's hold our horses a bit. We're supposed to be talking about the, talking about the splashback. Yeah. I I think that there is something really interesting here in like Frank seems like such a kind of meek character who's kind of like always, you know, he's getting pushed around, he's getting, he's doing like shit work and busy work because nobody else wants to do it. Uh, And then we meet him and he is having like the chillest emotional breakdown that I've ever read. Yes. Where he is like very calmly setting up the grandmother who he hates porcelain collection. Yes. And then just fucking destroying it all with a bow and arrow. And I feel like that that is such an interesting like way to introduce us to this character. I completely agree. There is this is what I'm talking about about Frank being very layered. Like yeah. he it makes perfect sense that he would be a child of Mars because mm-hmm. he, there's just so many different kinds of anger inside of him. <laughs> and he but largely it is this like slow quiet anger that is just like always there it seems like because like the i can like the thing you would usually see is like oh he gets so mad he like knocks over a shelf or like he throws a plate no he's yeah that's that's the clarice play he's fucking setting them up for target practice that's like not normal (laughs) he's like he's angry but still like in control of his faculties Right, he's in a, in a way that's quite interesting. It yeah, it almost seems like he's doing it to try and like lash out it in like the most lashing out way he can, 
because <laughs> one, he knows that his grandma doesn't like him doing the bow and arrow thing, and two, he knows that his grandma likes her porcelain. So it it follows. Huh. I didn't even think of that. You're right. Yeah. So it follows that like, oh, if I want to hurt her, then I just do it like this. <laughs> two birds, one stone, or indeed two porcelain vases, one arrow. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Grandma, Grandma Zhang is a bit of a stereotype. She's a little bit of a stereotype. But she's also a pretty compelling character. Mm-hmm. I th- I think what this is that like this is a kind of relationship that we don't see a lot in the series. Like uh-huh. we just don't see grandparents very much in this is true. The Camp Half Blood Chronicles, and there's just like a different kind of relationship between a like a child and their grandparent than there is between a child and their parents. And I guess I just like to see that explored because we haven't before. Rest in peace, Sadie's grandparents. Uh huh. And <laughs> because of that, like having it be this more like adversarial but still caring like the level of disconnect i guess there is that there isn't between parent and child uh is what makes this Mm -hmm. kind of is what makes this more interesting yeah you can definitely feel like a distance between them but like they they don't really know each other that well beyond like the surface like i mean that's very fitting for frank because he like thinks of his grandmother as just this like very cold very distant figure Obviously, like, her daughter dying is causing her to, like, come as close as she seems to be able to get to having a breakdown. Yeah, and that's kind of characterized through a lot of Frank is this disconnect. Like, that's also his relationship to, like, being Chinese-American. Like, Mm -hmm. is that he's just kind of like, well, I don't care about the Chinese part. Like, that's not anything to do with me. Yeah, definitely. Juno. (laughs) I I was like... I can't tell if this is genius or not. Okay, I'm going to talk about... I, I think you and I have different things to talk about here. So okay. I, I, you can go first. So, Frank gets born, according to his grandmother. And what happens immediately afterwards is that Juno fucking pops out of their fireplace and immediately starts talking about how Frank is going to restore their honor. Uh-huh. And the... I can't tell if Rick Ryden is, like, purposely giving Juno the vibes of, like, a white suburban mom who, like, bows to Asian people in the street. No, (laughs) this is what I was going to talk about. She says he will return your family to its roots and bring you great honor. It's... Nobody else says shit about honor in this chapter. Like... Frank mentions it a few times, but that is, like, that's come from Juno. Yeah, like... She feel like Juno is being racist here. <laughs> she, it, it, I, I hope it's that move and not just like, I, I've heard, I've heard talk in the world about like, hey, Percy Jackson doesn't do a great job with its Asian characters. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled for sure. You know, who, who we've got Ethan Nakamura so far and yeah, you know, we know we we don't talk about Ethan Nakamura anymore. I guess <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick Ryden has been known to do a bit of the old racism. Uh huh. But I'm I'm willing to extend the benefit of the doubt to him for now on this, because Juno being that type of character is so in character for her. Like that that just 
it makes sense that she would be this from everything that we know about her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Frank's curse is we we get it sort of laid out here. Basically, mm-hmm. he has to keep this pair like this driftwood that if it burns up, it'll you know he'll he will die. And the I it seems like maybe there is um the implication that this comes from like an argonaut. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, this is me inferring things. Like it's it seems like maybe he's descended from an argonaut named Pylos. Oh, this is my guess. It, it said that the blood of Pylos runs strong in him, and that like he has a curse of the Argonaut. So I'm just guessing here, but that sounds right. It would make sense because that would make Frank like we have the new concept of like legacies introduced here, mm-hmm. and that would make Frank both like a normal demigod and also a legacy. Definitely. I also I, I just I find the curse very funny. Because it, it reminds me of, like, a, a very similar thing that happened to me when I was a kid. Oh, well, hello? Uh, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't get cursed by a god. Okay. Uh, but I did watch a uh, hit 2005 movie, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Oh my god. Where, at, at the end, uh, Padme loses the will to live and that kills her. <laughs> uh, and this this was terrifying to young Jane. Who thought that if you thought the words "I want to die," you would just drop dead? Oh, that's normal. So that's like so. I was terrified of thinking that, and therefore just constantly thought that, and was terrified I was gonna just drop dead in the street. That's like gonna affect a child so normally. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> anyway, I, I feel like I understand the modicum of Frank's pain. Is my point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Um. Frank is like he's not even like afraid of death anymore is a thing. He's like already <laughs> met the point of not being scared and just like living with it. He's just like, yeah, sure, fuck it. I'll die. Who cares? I'll do it as a joke. <laughs> I feel like he and Percy are gonna get along very well. I think so. But he's like he's at the level of like that Twitter post that's like, You see us at the pool, what are you doing? And he's like and he's he's the one who quote retweets that and is like killing myself in front of you all to change the the trajectory of your friendship forever. (laughs) Frank Frank is the guy from that one post on Tumblr that's like mugger pointing a gun at me. You wanna die, motherfucker? Me, yeah kinda. (laughs) Mugger, shit, you okay? Oh god. Yes, yes. I hope we have that scene later. I feel like that could just be in the book. That would be good. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm i having a hard time resisting it. Can we get back to the history stuff? <laughs> it has, it has a, a, a draw, a magnetism. It does. It's like there's, it's like there's this rhythm to history. It's like it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's pulling me in. It's like the arcs play out the same. Anyway. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I get, we, I do actually enjoy what we're ha- what's happening here, which is that we're getting more and more of like the Roman perspective on Greek versus Roman gods. Mm-hmm. The idea that's presented here is basically like, if you say Greek demigod, what you're talking about is some Roman kid got tired of living in camp and went out in the woods and started pretending to be like a solo hero. <laughs> like weirdo traveling monster killers. Like they become a D&D character. And that's that's incredibly good to me. 
Yeah, that that's that is very funny. It's it's also I wonder if those are like the um because we see a couple of dead Camp Jupiter kids lying around in Lost Hero. I wonder if that was them. I think there's a good chance. My guess is either it's them or like some of them could even be from Alaska. Oh, you might be right. Because there's there, a lot of them died there. Although I think we know we hear something about Jason knowing one of them. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. That way, no, that might have just been me. I remember saying, "Fucking, I, I hope that Jason knows one of them." That'd be fucked up. Oh, okay, yes, that that might be the case. <laughs> um, but the real thing here is that the Roman perspective on like Greek stuff is filtered entirely through Byzantium. Now, this is this is interesting. This is completely insane. Yes. <laughs> can, can you can you give us a rundown? Uh, okay, so the. Like I mentioned in the summary, the idea is that um, from the Roman perspective, the Western Empire was like true Rome, which is what Camp Jupiter is based on. And then there were those Greek fuckers in the Eastern Roman Empire who stuck around a bit longer. Uh, And kind of by implication, this is kind of what they view Camp Half-Blood as. This is presumably what they viewed it as before they were kind of forcefully separated after the American Civil War. Mm -hmm. Which is... The, the part of why that is so insane is the idea of like, okay, so they would be part of the whole heart of the West thing, except that the Eastern Roman Empire was like the the founding of Eastern Orthodoxy, like the thing that a lot of Eastern European cultures that quote unquote Western civilization like definitionally stands in opposition to. Yes. But like that's where that comes from. There are two words So the idea that you fold that into the heart of the West is completely nuts. Well, what it makes it feel like to me is that these are two groups competing for the idea of being Western civilization. Oh. Like, it, and not in a good way. Like, it may, like when I think about <laughs> it like that, it makes it feel very, like, right-wing Twitter infighting. <laughs> like... To me, this feels like like there's the Greek side being like, of course, our classical Greek roots that makes us the heart of the West. Like, like that makes us the heart, like the the civilization. And then there's the Roman side being like, actually, you all are barbarians. We're Western civilization. All all while standing around statues of people who were very gay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Fuck. I hadn't thought of it like that. On the one hand, I kind of like, I like the way you put it because it just kind of like. It makes it a concept in the story rather than just like an insane thing that is just a fact of this world. But you're right that that also does kind of suck. Yeah, like I'm, I'm exaggerating it a little bit, obviously, but uh-huh. if you want to draw the implications, they are there. And what is this podcast if not uh, just drawing bad faith implications because Rick keeps saying completely insane shit? That's right, that's right. <laughs> and I mean... I think it's good that like like it, like Byzantine Empire, so like that's it's it's good that that was incorporated because like historically this is something you would want to take into account. But oh, Rick Riordan. I mean, at the at the bare minimum, I guess it's it's good at least from an educational perspective. Because I don't I don't know about the American school system, but when we learned about the Romans, uh, they told us jack shit about the Eastern Roman Empire. Oh yeah, no, same. <laughs> Very... Like it's just it's it's the Western Roman Empire, and then it fell, and then nothing. Shut up. 
Yeah, there's very, very little. Yeah. I, I know we're talking a lot, a lot about Frank here. These are his chapters. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, this is his debut, kind of. Yeah, and, and I enjoy talking about him. He's cool. I want to talk about Percy. Once again, Percy kind of has that magnetic pull that put, turns other people's chapters into his chapters. Yes, especially in the latter half, or like, I guess, mm-hmm. chapter 11, especially, where it, for a second yeah. I forgot, I was like, I, I was just like, oh yeah, of course, Percy, our main character, he's the one whose perspective we're getting at this from. Yeah. <laughs> but the moment that really strikes here for me is um in chapter 9, I think, when Percy is like, Percy becomes, his level of perception is like so high the people around him <laughs> treat him like he's like a like a horror movie villain like he he like he brings the sense of creeping dread to everyone because like <laughs> he he like he's like frank i know why you took those vials and frank reacts <laughs> like he's about to be fucking like skewered like percy no percy can read into his heart and can see see into his soul. That's, and that's just like, wow, I, I like that quite a bit. I mean, but Percy can't see into his heart and into his soul, right? No. Because he's, he's wrong about why he took the vials. No, exactly. But I like that it starts that way. Uh-huh. Oh, right. Yeah, no, I get, I get you. And I, I, I guess I'm continuing to just enjoy how Percy is positioned outside of his own perspective, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we got in Hazel's chapters as well, which is... You know, Percy is a cool character, but also this is someone who's already been through five books worth of shit. Uh-huh. He is kind of frightening. Yes, exactly. I guess the other thing about Frank is that he has a crush on Hazel, too. <sighs> yep, sure does. Is... Moving on. Moving on, okay. <laughs> 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 I, if you have, if, Do you want to talk about it? I don't know. Not really. I have nothing to say about it. I'm sure we could make a some some sort of deal out of it. There's, I guess it's kind of cute when they're talking in French to each other and like they can't understand each other at all. That's, that's fun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yep. Ba- basically, no thoughts. Does Frank have the divine right of kings? How do you mean? As in, he is he. His grandmother tells him about this like ancient, prestigious um, uh, family that uh, he comes from in China, like from that side of the family. And I just, I don't know. It gives me Kane Chronicles vibes. But that is also like, oh no, you are you are special because you are descended very distantly from like this powerful figure in like myth- mythology mythological history. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the thing happening here, right? Like that's 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 the Percy Jackson thing. Literally, every single character is that. I but I don't. I I feel like that's not really the case with the demigods a lot of the time. Like the de- the demigods, if anything, like at least in the Percy Jackson series itself. They map way more onto like, like at best claimed bastards. Like they are the the results of godly indiscretion, rather than like being from a prestigious bloodline, who are often like kicked to the curb and left to deal with their own shit with their parents because the gods don't care. And it just it feels very different to how how like the Camp Jupiter demigods work, where there is much more of a like no these are like. Maybe not legitimate children of the gods, but certainly like more acknowledged in some ways. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. I I get what you're saying, and I think that's like I mean part of that is also like there is a concept of legacies here. 
Yeah. And like, this is very much tied into the entire political intrigue plot. Like everything with Octavian, who apparently just tried to fucking murder someone. Uh, (laughs) Worst murder in history, by the way. (laughs) It really was literally the, (laughs) maybe the, wait, I think we can say this almost for sure. Maybe the world's first murder that didn't work. <laughs> like, not as in you you failed to murder someone, but, like, you murder someone and then it doesn't work afterwards. My question is, what the fuck was the plan after the murder? Like, like he he stabbed her with a peelum with his company's thing etched into it, and then was wandering around without it afterwards. Like, why did he leave it in her? He's probably going to get, like, one of his lackeys to take the fall. But I, I... But just pull it out. You're allowed to hit people with it. It doesn't... Nobody will even question you about why it's covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's hardcore at Camp Jupiter also, like... And we... We we get the impression at first from Camp Half-Blood that, like, oh, the Capture the Flag games are so intense. This is a different mm-hmm. level. Yeah, no, it's, it's like... Gwen dying... Like, everyone is broken up about it, but this is clearly not the first time this has happened. Yeah, yeah. It, people have died here in a way that, like, I think if someone died at Camp Half-Blood, it'd be like, well, we have to call off Capture the Flag. <laughs> no sing-along tonight. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, But I feel like the Roman demigods would just come back next week and do it again. Yeah, definitely. Because I guess they're kind of like, because they kind of think of themselves as a military as opposed to Camp Half-Blood, which is a summer camp. Yes, and that works for me here. Like, mm-hmm. the entire Capture the Flag thing, first of all, Percy being like, Capture the Flag, I think I like that. Like, <laughs> that's very good. Him just, like, immediately giving the game a sense for it. But also just, like, the concepts being presented here of, like, oh, yeah, you build an entire fortress in a day. to like That's prepare- cool. That's awesome, yeah. And I think Frank's entire, like, his coming up with the plan and the execution, that works for me quite, that that really does work for me. I think it's, it's, it's good to read. De- definitely. And it is like, like we were saying with the way he expresses his anger earlier, it's another side of that, like, uh, the, the way that a kid of Ares slash Mars might be. Because we've got Clarice for, like, likes to hit things. But Frank is, like, he's clearly a strategy guy. Like, that's also an important part of doing wars, and that seems to be where he specialized. And this yeah. is a really good way of showing that off to the reader. Yeah. The, I mean, the third way that we see from him also is the anger. He, like, mm-hmm. and we've talked a little bit about it, but we haven't talked about him, like, the, like, burning red anger he gets. Like, he almost fucking kills Octavian. Like, I think he would have jumped Octavian if, like, Mars hadn't shown up. <laughs> I th- Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I... But <laughs> can we talk about Mars? Oh, we can. Unless, unless sorry, were you about to go to something? I was just gonna talk about how funny it is that Hazel's superpowers are that she can make tunnels appear and that she can make ge- evil gems appear. Uh, but <laughs> she is an Earthbender. Uh, yes. Wait. Oh shit! You're right. She is basically just an Earthbender. <laughs> but like yes, we mentioned let's... this jokingly before, but that does literally seem to be her powers. Yeah. Wow. Rick Riordan could have watched uh, Avatar. Yeah, I guess it came out the same year the Lightning Thief did. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get to Mars though. This is this is like the biggest important thing we have to talk about before we wrap up. I I love everything about this scene. Same. 
This is peak fiction. This is what what you want. This is the fan service shit you want. Absolutely. Was there, was there anything that stood out to you about it? First of all, when Ares first appears in The Lightning Thief, we, like, we were gaga over, like, his appearance. Mm-hmm. And he's he's not as styling here, but the one thing I do want to call out is his infrared goggles. <laughs> it's It's so shitty, but so evocative. The vibe I get is absolutely, like, a guy who gets gets military gear from the surplus store and like lops in his backyard with a paintball gun yes yes exactly like, it's this so is a, good this is a, a type of fan of war this is someone who, <laughs> and, and that that's the what war fandom mars, yes and that's what mars should be absolutely yeah it's he knows percy he knows he per- he is bullshitting when he says that he doesn't know percy i don't know i'm not sure it Nico was bullshitting, but I don't know if Mars is. Like, maybe there really is just that big of a disconnect between the two aspects. I just... The, the specific line where uh, Frank says that watching Mars and Percy talk is like watching two old buddies talking trash is just like... That That screams Mars knows exactly who he's talking to. Like, I, I've... I just feel like it's maybe a case of, like he doesn't want to say in front of the whole camp who he's about to claim a son in front of that he got his ass kicked by this kid. You know what? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> the Percy and Mars dynamic is fucking impeccable. Thank you, Percy, for continuing to be so impertinent. Yes, it's just <laughs> this is. I mean, not to just like fangirl, but like this is what I like from the Lightning Thief. And, like, all of that shit. Like, this is Percy just being bullheaded and argumentative toward gods. That's that's what I love. But, and, and this is what kind of just puts the icing on it, is that it's not, like, it's not turning into, like, a flanderized thing or, like, his only character trait or anything. Because when it becomes clear that, like, he's going to have to back down, he does it. He, that's true, yeah. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't keep going. He knows when to stop. Yeah, I just... God, Rick Ryden, I don't know if you know, he's pretty good at writing this Percy Jackson kid. It's weird. I, he might have a future in this. He might. Oh, God. Mars, sorry, Percy isn't the only one who Mars, like, has quite the relationship with. As Frank's dad, he is so, like, he, he rounds out to being such a type of guy. He, the, sorry, you go. There you go. Go ahead, go ahead. He is the fucking worst, shittiest, helicopter parent, like, soccer dad. Yes, I, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say football dad, although I think we meant two different types of football there. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, I. this is not something I would expect from him, because what we've seen up till now is, like, Ares, the abuser guy. Mm-hmm. But Mars being, like... Mars being, like, the guy who comes to the football games to scream at the coach that he is, like, his son isn't getting enough play. It's perfect. It's perfect. It Yeah, it fits. It's so good. It's incredibly funny. Especially because we, like, never see Mars positive. Like, this is as close to positive as we see Mars. Yeah, this is, yeah it's the nicest he's ever been to one of his kids on a screen. On, on whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Frank's 
Frank's not having a good time of it. <laughs> Frank seems like he's shitting himself. Yeah. Poor kid. Uh, it's like, okay, I just, w- I just won the Fortnite Battle Royale. And now I have <laughs> to, like... Now I have to actually... Now I have to... Th- this fucking guy. Like, there's nothing good <laughs> about being a son of Mars. Now you have to deal with being a person who won a round of Fortnite. That's true. That's true. I mean, that is that is basically what this is. They build. They, they shoot. Oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you can't say that. Uh, when they add Percy Jackson to Fortnite when, no. when the series comes out, people are going to be recreating this scene. Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I think we need to do our segment. Wait, 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 wait. There's one thing first. Okay. There's one thing. We have uh, a combat a combat style watch. Okay. So we, we discussed in Lost Hero uh, how Jason fucking trances the Yesis because he has advanced Legion combat training and therefore is just better than someone with shitty Greek combat training. Uh-huh. Uh, in these chapters... Uh, Percy trounces all of these Legion dweebs with his superior Greek combat training. Yes. Which... <laughs> this gives credence to a theory that was proposed in the Discord that, mm-hmm. Lierces, that like, Greek combat training at Camp Half-Blood isn't, like, really, like, ancient Greek ha- like combat training anymore. It's, like, an evolution of it. Yeah. Uh, so that that's cool. Yeah, the person who suggested that theory is incredibly intelligent and sexy. Uh, wait, was that you? It was me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I think it was, hang on, I won't, actually, I need to, I can't, I need to check and make sure that I'm not stealing someone's shit here. Make sure that, like, Marcy didn't say it or something. <laughs> it's possible that I, like, like someone buying Frank's mom's bloodstained jacket from a surplus shop, I might be stealing Valor right now. <laughs> oh, God. You know, the CAF apparently had the high, the, the Canadian Armed Forces apparently had the, like, highest per capita casualty rate she's not even that special (laughs) yes i did say that i did it very good job thank you okay Uh, sorry segment uh, our segment and it's a segment we like to bring around about once a book (laughs) this is the prophecy prediction corner this is the prophecy prediction corner I'm, i'm we need to settle in for some hardcore theorizing here yeah because this one this one this is actually very straightforward (laughs) <laughs> right, I'll, I'll read it out to the audience and see if they can uh, they can glean anything from this. Yeah, if you if you've got your little like cork board out at home, you can like get some red thread and like try and link everything up as we go. Uh, the prophecy is: go to Alaska, find Thanatos, and free him. Come back by sundown on June twenty fourth, or die. I don't get it. I no, I... not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best scene. This is so funny. I love this. It's it's playing with like everything we've it's like, okay, on one hand, it's playing with everything, like all the expectations that we've built up from like the twenty seven million books before this. <laughs> um it's very characterful of Mars and just like the comedy bit of him like trying to find a pin and t- having to like turn a grenade into a pin. I I feel like there was such a missed opportunity here for Percy to hand him Riptide to write with. Yes. And to just have that moment of, like, Mars glaring at him, because this is the thing that Percy used to slash his fucking ankle open. (laughs) That'd be so good. 
Uh, oh, but the okay. scene is still extremely good as is. Yeah, like o- Octavian like simpering because there's like, oh, like I'm all, I, are you sure you don't want to write it in verse, my lord? Octavian, Octavian truly is just that nerd emoji. He got whenever he, really he opens is. his mouth. He really fucking is. God, this part, this is, oh, we didn't really talk about this. They've got their quest. They have to go back to Thanatos. There's another time limit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you you can, you can see it on the front of the book. Percy's in Alaska. Yeah. I, Thanatos, he's, if I remember him from Hades, he's pretty sexy. Yeah. So. I I feel like so far Hades definitely has a monopoly on like sexy god designs, but Uh who knows? Maybe Rick's gonna, gonna get a late game Hail Mary on this. Who's the sexiest god in Percy Jackson? <laughs> uh, I know. I guess it kind of depends on what you're into. I guess like Aphrodite. I mean, that's obvious, but like she's the one. I, Af- who- yeah, Aphrodite is a, is a good. I feel like a lot of people would say like Hypnos. Yeah, we haven't gotten like Hypnos on screen though, right? This, uh, you know what? That's true. Poseidon. I'm saying that entirely because the name. People are into like the Poseidon dad bod thing. They yeah they like they like the like shitty fisherman dad vibes yeah but he probably also always smells like fish probably maybe he smells like good fish though maybe he's, maybe he smells like the sea yeah yeah like, or is that just like a the... diplomatic way of saying someone smells like fish I'm not sure <laughs> I yeah um, <laughs> listeners write in tell us who the sexiest god is absolutely I think we'll that... read out your answers on the next episode or forget to that's right I think that might do it for us today. Wait, what about our other segment? Oh, shit, you got anything? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, well then we can not do it. Frank, Frank seems to be aggressively heterosexual so far, is what I'll say. He's like angry, angry says hat boy. <laughs> but we, I think we discussed this like last chapter, how like, or like last episode or two, that Frank, Frank could be trans. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah, he's, he's, he's still carrying over the bonus points for that then. Gwen, uh, I feel like we've done the joke of, like, someone dies, they're gay, like, a million things already. Yeah. So, I Gwen is cishet. <laughs> but Octavian... I hope Octavian is cishet. I, I hope so. If Octavian was gay, that'd be, this would be certified bad representation. <laughs> oh, Vitellius. Vitellius. I, really quickly. I don't know why. I found Vitellius really charming in these chapters. I still thought he was kind of annoying. He was annoying, but he was also charming to me. I don't know. I, I'm glad that you thought he was charming. I Not charming. I don't know. The conversation was... That's eh, fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just eager for this book to get on the road so we can get away from the, the whack history stuff. Because that's what always happens with these. It eases off once they're on a quest. Yeah, that's fair. And now we know that there probably won't be like any camp politics stuff until like the last chapter. Uh, oh well. Oh well, we're already, I mean, we're already 10 chapters in, so. 12. You know what I mean. (laughs) I think that might do it for us today. I think so. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We're hosted by the fine folks over at the Moonshot Network, which includes us, I guess, because we're also part of the network. You can find them at Moonshot Pods on Twitter and uh, listen to some of the other great podcasts. I'll drop a drop a promo at the end for one that I think you all might enjoy. Hell yeah. 
You can also find us on Twitter at UnwiseGirls. There you can uh, peruse our links to our email, our Discord server, our personal Twitters. Uh, If you want to support us, you can go to uh, your podcast app of choice. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It was my birthday recently, so I would (laughs) love it if you did that for me. And uh, also, you can tell your friends the other way you can support us is by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. There, for a dollar a month, you'll get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you'll get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, on the on the last bonus podcast, uh, Jacqueline talked about going to a really cool wrestling show, uh, and we, we got right up to the, the edge of a certified controversial moment in Homestuck. So if you want to hear us talking about whatever shitstorm this is, uh, join the Patreon. You can listen to the next episode. That's right. We're also going to be covering related media, like with Roman and Greek themes, that kind of thing, as well as other books by Rick Riordan. Eventually, we swear. Uh, definitely. I'm, I'm reading the first Trace Navari book. Fuck, I need to start doing that. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. of all time this is champs in the making a pokemon bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the pokemon video game franchise put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is starmie gives me like organic free range gluten-free like fidget spinner energy swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands (laughs) i don't like weird ears face it's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. <clears throat> I think Nido King's favorite beer is PBR. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Making, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.